I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. With me is the Chief Executive Officer of BioCatch, Gadi Mazor. Going to start with fraud prevention, if we may, Gadi. How do behavioral biometrics help in fraud prevention? If you think about fraud prevention, fraud prevention over the last uh, few decades kind of evolved over time as the fraudsters become more and more sophisticated. And if you look at the last two years, two or three years, the main way for the fraudsters to attack the genuine user, to attack the, the customer, is by manipulating them to do unwise things with their money through social engineering. So as many of the new fraud types, UK was first with uh, uh, voice scams, also known as uh, authorized push payment. And this is when the end user themselves are doing the, again, unwise things with the money, being manipulated, being guided by by the fraudster. If you think on those type of frauds, all the previous defenses of uh, in fraud prevention, uh, looking at the device, looking at the transaction, looking at you know whether it comes from the the machine of the end user, username and password, all those layers are signaling that everything's fine, right? Because it's the end user themselves doing that from their normal device, and with behavior, with behavioral biometrics, that's what we do of looking at how the user interacts in these sessions. With, with a website or the application, we can still say that even though everything else seems fine in terms of device, location, et cetera, we see signs of behavior that are being manipulated on that session. Okay, so we look at that as the perfect protection for that new type of fraud of making the end user themselves do the action on behalf of the fraudster. How do we actually stop an end user from doing that? Can you catch this in real time? Yes, we look in real time. We sit within the bank, uh, our customers' applications, whether that's website or mobile application. We monitor, we don't look at what the user actually does, but only how he does that. So we look at uh, the cadence of keyboard typing. We look at wait times. We look at how they swipe the device. And there are always two models in fight in terms of machine learning models. One is, does that look like the genuine user that we've seen before in terms of behavior? And we each one have our own preferences. I mean, do you scroll the page with the scroll bar or with the arrows? Do you type quickly or slowly? Uh, how do you move the mouse, etc.? So we have a model that is the behavioral profile of the genuine user. And we have a model that is the behavior profile of a fraudster. And based on those kind of what those models tell us, we can uh, give in real time to the bank saying this session that we're now monitoring and the person is about to transfer money, that's a risky session. We see signs that they're being manipulated or we see signs that someone took over the account. And we're saying that uh, we're doing this in real time and then the bank can decide whether to accept the transaction to reject the transaction or open the transaction and send that to some operational team that will confirm whether the transaction is indeed genuine and the user intended to do that. Well, the thing of it is, of course, that we've spent, as an industry, a lot of time in the last few years making the customer experience less painful, with less friction, faster, simpler, fewer clicks. But at the same time, we still have to protect these people. 
Absolutely. And if you think in general on that uh, uh, balance or fight between frictionless user experience and security, traditionally, uh, protections like uh, OTP and step up and biometrics like fingerprint and, uh, and iris scan and face, those all add friction to the session in the, at the expense of the user experience. I mean, they add security, but at the expense of the user experience. What we're doing is we look at the behavior on that session, the normal usual uh, user behavior, completely transparently. We do not add any additional step-ups or, or roadblocks to that user experience. And that's the only signal that both simultaneously increase security because we're saying is the angle of the, that you hold the phone typical to uh, who how we know that you held the phone previously. The pressure that you put when you, uh, when you press the device, does that fit previous behaviors, et cetera? You don't need to change anything in the behavior. We can still look at all those signals and assess whether that, uh, that makes sense. Uh, so that's the only type of signals of the fraud protection that works both simultaneously at the same time on decreasing friction and increasing security. Well, there's obviously a business case for fraud prevention because nobody wants to lose money. I, for one, as an individual, would like my money to be in the bank when I want to get at it. And the bank obviously does not want to lose money either. What do financial institutions have to do? They basically they need to, uh, and we work with 70 of the top banks in uh, in the world, almost all the top banks in the UK are customers. I mean, obviously, we're not allowed to say all the customer names, but uh, the ones that did go on record with us is our HSBC and Barclays and Itaú in Latin America and NAB in Australia. Some of them invested in us also in uh, in the company. And we uh, we are integrated within their applications and we're monitoring that transaction. That's all they need to do. And then on the back end, they integrate our signal and make the decision based on what we give them uh, as the risk score and the risky elements of that session. Uh, they do have, all of them have multiple stacks of, uh, of fraud prevention going back 30 years when, when you looked only at the transaction data to see whether that transaction at that even time is indicative or is uh, something that is you know, reasonable for, for you to do at that time. And then they went, moved to device and then they moved to behavior. And now we're moving to scam detection. So they integrate the signal into the backend, protect the money. And the effect, by the way, of fraud, and especially on scams, is not just that you don't have your money in the account. It's a personal insult to be scammed. If you ever had that experience, it's someone made a fool of you, someone scammed you. It's even worse kind of psychologically than someone hacked into your account and stole money. The bank will return that money and you you were not informed. But, but if someone actually made you transfer the money out of your account, that has effect not just on vulnerable people, but any human being on, I was being fooled and I acted foolishly. And, and that's what we're trying to prevent. Walk me through exactly what happens. I'm carrying out a transaction, your systems recognize that this might not be a valid transaction. What happens? What do I actually see? 
So I'll, I'll, I'll give you the whole, uh, the whole kind of story, even in terms of the how you're being scammed, okay? And again, hopefully not you. But let's say that you, and that's to one of the type of scams in the UK, uh, started four years ago, APP, authorized push payment or voice scam. So someone gets a call, you get a call, uh, they say, we're calling from the cable company and you, you owe us eight pounds. And maybe there's some discussion, but eventually you give the debit card and you pay the eight pounds. Five minutes later, you get another call and they're saying, we're calling from your bank. They would know your bank, uh, your bank uh, provider. You were just now being scammed for eight pounds. But don't worry, we stopped that transaction. We saw that this is a scam transaction. So we, uh, we, you, know, we didn't lo- you didn't lose the money. But because you gave your debit card, now already psychologically, you're talking with a, big, with a good guy, right? I mean, he just saved you eight pounds. So now the guy tells you, because you gave your debit card and your debit card is linked to your uh, bank account, we opened a new account for you and let us guide you through transferring all your money to the new account, okay? And they call that the safe account so that uh, you know there's no linkage of that uh, debit card to that account. And through sessions of time, time sometimes takes an hour, they guide a user to uh, of transferring all their life savings to that presumably safe account with instant payment like in the UK, that money is gone immediately. Of course, the second call is also a fraud call. The, the, you know, they're the, the very sophisticated in terms of social engineering, kind of psychological uh, manipulation. Now think on that second session, okay? Uh, why it takes long? Because the way they usually do this, or and again, I'm, I'm describing one scenario, is uh, they'll first ask you to transfer 20 pounds to set up a new payee for that account and to transfer 20 pounds. No bank system will do a hassle on, on a new payee 20, uh, 20 pounds. And then they wait two minutes to see that it went through. And by the way, the bank uh, system registered that this is an existing payee and everything is fine. And then they'll transfer 100 pounds. Now the bank system looks at that and say, okay, that's an existing PE, transferred 20 pounds previously, 100 pounds sounds reasonable. And that that transaction goes through, they wait a few more minutes, et cetera, et cetera. And then through five, six, seven transactions, they wipe your, your whole life saving, tens of thousands of pounds that are being, uh, being wiped and, uh, and gone. Now, if you look at the behavior in that second session, we'll see a few signals. And we have hundreds of signals that we're looking for. I'll give you just a couple of examples. One is we'll see quite a lot of wait times. That's a discussion going on between the fraudster and you, and they are waiting, et cetera. Within the wait times, we see things like what we call doodling, when someone moves the mouse you know, without any specific objectives. So that those, that's a signal that something is going on. If you being dictated the number over the phone, the account number that you transfer, transfer the money to, if you had that number in front of you, you typically, and everything I'm saying is called machine learning statistics. I mean, so, so it's, there's no silver bullet, but, but statistically, you would, you would input that number in three digits or four digits at a time if that's in front of you. That's kind of what usually people copy a number you know, from, from a paper to the screen. If you're being dictated over the phone, this will be usually done in one or two digits at a time. Okay, that's dictation. So we see signs of dictation. We see signs of dictation also if you make a mistake. Just think about what you would normally do if you type the count number and you then compared in a usual session, you compared and you saw that you made a mistake. Most users, again, statistically, will wipe the whole thing clean 
and start all over. You have the number in front of you. On dictation sessions, on on the phone, you'll just uh, you'll read the number back to the scammer, and they'll say, no, 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 fix the third digit. It's not a four, it's a five. So we see different behavior when fixing errors, uh, when fixing mistakes, etc. So we monitor all those signals, and at the point that you click the submit button, even then we look at how much time it takes you to submit, we were seeing subconscious hesitation. That time, the click time on the submit button takes on average 50% more than in genuine, uh, genuine session because somehow the end user subconsciously is hesitating. So we look at all those signals and then we calculate at that point the risk score that we give to that transaction. The bank calls us, that's a transfer now, the bank calls us and say, what do you say about this session? And we tell the bank a number, zero to 1,000. 1,000 is, we think it's very risky. Hopefully, and that's usually what the, what happens. We give the bank, this something is going on, no pun intended, but fishy on that session. And, and then the bank will basically not accept the transfer and either outright reject that or send that to a pending queue for someone to call you to confirm that indeed you intend to do this, etc. So what I see as an individual is I'll see a screen saying, we're going to call you. Yes. Yeah, like banks have uh, in uh, for ages of, I mean, even if you transfer a lot of uh, a lot of money all of a sudden and put aside uh, being scammed, but if, uh, if you did a transaction that is out of the normal historically, I mean, just uh, that exists for tens of years, uh, all of a sudden you transfer to a new PE, uh, 30,000 pounds, you might get this note that says uh, this was transferred to a banker to look into or to approve, etc. And then they decide whether they call you or they look at the data and decide. Whether, okay, so, so they have the operational capabilities on their side to look at uh, multiple transactions to see whether they make sense. But in that case, we will signal, sing, uh, signal to them that we think that that user got scammed at that call, and then we will call you and confirm whether you indeed intended. And if you tell them, well, you guys called me, and you, then, and then, then the scam is being stopped. I suppose it's difficult to put a number on this. Obviously, we've seen the amount of fraud rising in recent years. Is it possible to put a number on the amount of fraud that's been pre- prevented? We sell in uh, 35 countries by now. So we, we have this global view. The UK ba- banks are one of the top in preventing fraud without excess uh, friction. Uh, I think that about uh, 85 to 90% of the fraud is being, uh, is being caught by the systems. But still, that other 10, 15% is, is a lot of money. Oh, the other thing to say, of course, is the fraudsters themselves aren't standing still. This is an ongoing battle. It is a cat and rat chase. And if you look at the history, the reason why the fraudsters in the last couple of years went to scamming the end user is because of all the defenses that were put in place to prevent simple account takeover. 20 years ago, it was enough to just uh, get your username and password and, and log into your account and do and the fraudster. It doesn't matter where they come, what device, et cetera, would be able to, to access your account and do transactions. And then... The only defense was that did the transaction make sense in terms of size, etc. The banking industry put more and more defenses looking at the device than looking at the behavior, whether the behavior looks like your behavior, including our defenses. And then the fraudsters basically understood that the only way for them to get in 
is to actually make you do the transaction uh, because then it will be your location, your device, and your genuine behavior. But still, in our case, we can see that you're being manipulated. So it's you, but you're being manipulated and you're being scared. Gadi Mazor, Chief Executive Officer of Biocatch, thank you very much.